How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all getting ready for Christmas? Because guess what? Ready or not, here it comes. We say that every year. You know, I really hope and pray that everyone here is able to enjoy family time, celebrating Christmas, and uh, and just from the Ford family to, to from the Ford family to you guys, uh, we hope everyone has a great and awesome Christmas season. Amen. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. My message this morning is, is two-part. It's a two-part message this morning as we finish uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. The first thing is how to wreck everything. I'm going to share with you from Scripture this morning how to wreck everything. And then the second half of my message is how to be a vessel of honor. Now, I don't know about you, but in life, I don't need much help to mess things up. <laughs> but unfortunately, I do mess it up along the ways. And thankfully... I have a loving family and a loving wife that, that helps me and supports me and gets me through. But in general, we don't want direct things in life, right? So let's, let's, let's take a look at our text this morning, and we'll, we'll read the passage on how to wreck everything. And then a little bit later in, in the message, we'll read the passage on being a vessel of honor. But let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14. The scripture says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is set before us. And Lord, teach us this morning, Lord. We're here. We know that by your Holy Spirit, you are here. And we ask you, Lord, to teach us, encourage us, and challenge us in our faith as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I talked about is how to wreck everything. You can say how to wreck everything in the church, but you could also categorize this first part of his teaching is how to wreck everything in your Christian walk. So y'all ready to dig into it? All right, let's take a look at it. Starting at verse 14 in our verse-by-verse teaching through the book of 2 Timothy. Verse 14, he says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. So here in verse 14, the, the, Paul is, is telling his young Timothy to tell the church of Ephesus, and the scriptures is telling us today, the first thing he says is what? Remind them. Remind them of these things. That's what your verse starts off with. What's he talking about there? Go back and look at verse 8 prior to this verse. He told Timothy, he says, Remember what? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Now, we would all agree that in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit is the one that drives our hearts. He drives our soul. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit guides us, directs us, leads us. He's active in our life. He's there. He helps us pray. He builds our faith. But then you have this other part of your life, which the, this other part of you, which is what? Your mind. Your mind. So Paul is telling Timothy here, hey, remember Jesus Christ. You know, in our minds, in the, in the Christian journey, as we're led by the Holy Spirit, we have this mind that, we, that, that sometimes gets out of whack, 
becomes uncontrollable. We have issues, you know, just everyday life, those curveballs at us. But in our, in our journey of faith, we need to remember Jesus Christ in our mind, in the forefront of our mind, what he did for us at Calvary. That great sacrifice. We need to remind ourselves of that truth. We need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. We need to keep in the forefront of our mind his resurrection from the dead. Whoa! Nobody's ever done that before. And he was able to do it because he was God. He was the son of God. And his resurrection from the dead validates his work at Calvary. It proves that he is the son of God. It proves that there is life beyond the grave for the believer. There's life beyond the grave. uh, There is an eternity for every single soul. So in your Christian journey, in your Christian walk, in your mind, remember Jesus Christ. Remember your Lord and Savior. And now he continues, look at verse 14. He says, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. Here it is, guys. This is where we're going to get into how to wreck everything. It says, he tells them not to wrangle about words. Now, what's he talking about here? Not, not to wrangle about words. What he's talking about here is to, um, is to have an argumentative spirit. To have an argumentative spirit. Uh, Timothy was dealing with the false teachers, and he's telling Timothy, don't argue with them. Just speak the truth in love. Just speak the truth and don't, don't get into a heated argument because heated arguments go nowhere. You get into a heated argument with someone, you know, nine times out of ten, they're going to go opposite ways and they're not going to agree. And there's no need to get into an, a, to a, a heated debate. Now, he's not talking here, he's not talking in this text uh, when he says not to wrangle about words. He's not talking about don't defend, don't defend the faith. Or, or, or don't have healthy debates on certain Bible doctrines. You know, we can have healthy debates. You know, and we're called to defend the faith once and for all given to the saints, according to Jude. But what he's talking about here is that people that come into the church and they want to pick a fight. That's what he's talking about. That's what uh, Timothy is dealing with at Ephesus, and that's what Paul is talking to him about. You know, we, those, those fights, those arguments might come in the form of something like... Uh, People arguing over where did Cain get his wife? Um, who do we baptize? Do we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Or do we baptize in the name of Jesus? If you want to know David, Pastor David's answer, if you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you got both. <laughs> so we're good. So we're good. But people want to wrangle over those. People want to wrangle. Do we use uh, grape juice or do we use real wine? People want to argue and debate over those things. And really, they're just not worth debating over. They're, they're just not worth picking a fight over, and they're, and, and they're, they're useful. It says right there, look at in verse 14, we're two-thirds of the way through it. In verse 14, he says, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. When he says that they're useless here, he's saying that they're, they're, there's no value. There, there's no value in this wrangling with words, in this argumentative spirit. Matter of fact, what it does is it drives people away. These... these uh, wrangling of words, these divisive spirits, these people that want to argue and fight, it causes confusion, it causes disillusion, and it causes rejection. And ultimately, when you go down this path, it does what? It wrecks everything. It wrecks everything. And it's not called to be that way. We're not, we're not meant to be that way. We defend the faith. We stand firm. And there's doctrines in the scriptures that we will not bow and we will not bend. Um, but on these secondary uh, these secondary issues that have little or no meaning we're, we're not going to argue we're not going to um de- de- debate over those things because it just it wrecks the witness of the church look at verse 15 verse 15 he says a uh, wonderful passage this, this this verse alone is a verse that every single pastor and shepherd should meditate on because this is this is really our command um, one of the core cornerstones of being a pastor and being a leader. Verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handling the word of truth. Whew. 
The second way people can wreck everything, because you can apply this to your life, to, to Christians, to the church. The second way that um, you can wreck everything is if you mishandle the Word of God. If you mishandle the Word of God, you know, it's called, it's called uh, scripture twisting. It's called uh, taking verses, taking Bible verses out of context. Every single Bible verse has a meaning. And where is that meaning found? In the context of the verse. Alistair Begg said, There are so many people beating a banging around in the realm of theology that they have no idea what they are saying. Quote from Alistair Begg. People have turned the Bible into a self-help book. You know, they come into the Bible and, well, what's in it for me? Well, to be honest with you, the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. And the Bible, the Word of God, is an invitation for you to come be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what this Word is. And that's the way that, as a pastor and a teacher, we present it. This is God's inspired word to you, and it's an invitation to you that Jesus is saying, come, follow me. Come, be a disciple of me and follow me. You know, uh, be diligent, he says, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And it says there, accurately handling the word of truth. One of the greatest mistakes I see in biblical hermeneutics, and I know I'm going to step on some toes here because I stepped on mine, is, 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 is when you read a Bible verse and you, and you ask this question, what does this verse mean to me? What, what, what does this Bible verse mean to me? That's not a good question to ask. That's not the right question to ask when we read a Bible verse. What, is this, what does this verse mean to me? The right question that we should ask when we're reading a verse in the Bible is what is God saying in this verse? And here's where you can add you to it. We say, what is God saying in this verse? And how does it apply? How can I apply it to my life? That's good, solid, biblical hermeneutics. Is determine what God is saying in the passage, not what it means to you, because people can read a verse and have 10 different meanings. We have to research it, study it, dive into it, figure out what God is saying, and then cross the bridge of application and apply it to, to our lives. You know, it says in verse 15, it says, we're to be diligent. I like these phrases. It says, it says in verse 15, be diligent in a workman. That means that we work hard. We study. Studying the Bible is not always easy. Now, don't get me wrong. I love morning devotions, and I'll read a chapter in less than three or four minutes, and I'm blessed by it, and it encourages me. But there should also be a season, there should also be a time in every believer's life in your devotional time where you study the Word, where you look at it verse by verse, and you look up the meanings of the words and figure out what is being said by the original author when it was written. And then cross that bridge. How does it apply to me? What is the truth in this word? But be diligent, friends. Be diligent, family, in studying your Bible. In studying your Bible. Be a workman, as it says. And it says, accurately, accurately handling the word of truth. That word, um, accurately handling there, it means to rightly divide. It means to, he's telling us there to cut it straight. Cut it straight and get it right. A workman of the Bible, a Christian, a believer, a follower of Christ who studies their Bible and who goes to church and attends Bible studies, the, 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 the workman who handles the Bible and teaches it should, should do it in a reverent manner, should do it reverently, should do it humbly, should do it carefully. Um, we're called to uh, my job, and when I'm, when I'm teaching the Word, I stay away from the big theological words, because I, what I want to do is I just want to present the Bible clearly and, 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 and just let, it, let God's word speak and let you see what he's saying in his word. But we present the Bible clearly, and we present the Bible truthfully, and we give you the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God, the nice stuff, the hard stuff, the heavy stuff, the light stuff, so you can see the whole picture. We don't skip over, 
We talk about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, but we also talk about the holiness of God and the wrath of God. We give you the whole counsel of what the Bible teaches so you have a proper biblical worldview on, on who God is, who you are, and how you're to live out this Christian life. But going back to my point of how to wreck everything, uh, looking at verse 15, I'm looking at the opposite of it, and is is this. When you mishandle the Word of God, you wreck everything. You wreck everything. Man, I, I, don't, even, I, I don't even cut the TV. I don't even watch TV preachers no more because they make me pull my hair out, <laughs> some of the things they say. But um, anyway, we're called to study it, and we're not called to mishandle it. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, But avoid worldly and empty chatter. What's he talking about here, Pastor David? Uh, this worldly and empty chatter. He's talking about, um, he's not ta- I, when I first read it, I thought he was talking about gossip. But, but when you look at the verse in the context of the passage, he's really talking about just this mindless, frivolous talk. Mindless, frivolous talk within the church, within the body that goes nowhere. You know, this would be um, unbiblical teaching where people just talk off the top of their heads and they have no, no knowledge of what they're really talking about. It's, it's just it's talk that, that makes no sense. Does that sound right? It's talk that makes no sense. You know, and you and I, we participate in this worldly and empty chatter when we place, here it is the first one, when we place man's opinion above the truth of Scripture. The Bible trumps everything. The Bible trumps our opinion. It, it trumps all other books. The Bible and the Bible alone stands as his truth. We participate in this worldly and empty chatter when we place philosophy above Scripture. We do not look at the Bible through the lens of philosophy. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and philosophies and ways of men, rather than on the simple truth of who Jesus Christ is. We participate in worldly and empty chatter when we place tradition, when we place tradition above the truth of Scripture. Now, there's nothing wrong with tradition, okay? I like traditions. I, I like traditions even within the church. But traditions have their place. And that, that place of tradition is not above the Scripture, but below the Scripture. Amen? So we don't, we don't do those things. And look at verse 16, the end of verse 16. Look in your Bible, end of verse 16. He says, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So what's he saying there? He's saying that worldly and empty chatter is sinful. <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying sinful and it leads you further and further away from the Lord. Just plain and simple truth. That's what drew me to Calvary Chapel in 2005. When I, when I first walked into Calvary Chapel, Lexington, Pastor John just opened up the Bible and just started teaching verse by verse. The first time I ever walked into a Calvary Chapel was Phoenix, Arizona. I cried through the whole service. I wept through the whole service. And the preacher was preaching on the, on the rapture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But just this pure, straightforward, verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible, it melted my heart. It was like water to my soul. It wasn't no, there wasn't all this opinions and philosophy and traditions. It was just God's Word, and it changed my life. Now, look at verse 17. If you notice, verse, verse 16 ends with a comma because he's continuing the thought in verse 17. So we want to get this right. Verse 17, he says, And their talk, talking about what was in verse 16, the, the worldly need to be chatter, will spread like, the NASB says, gangrene. Some of your translations say it will spread like cancer. And what he's saying is, is this is, this is cancerous to your Christian walk. This, is, this, this worldly and empty chatter is cancerous. It's poison. It's poison in the church. And we have to, the, the body has to protect itself from this. Bible studies have to protect from this coming into the Bible study, from this coming into the church. This gangrene, this, this poison, this cancer, this, um, this gangrene, it cripples our evangelistic endeavors because everybody's hemming and hawing inside the church and there's all this mess inside the church and we can't even focus on the outside world. 
But thankfully, it's not that way here at Calvary Chapel. I'm very thankful for all you brothers and sisters and for the love that we have for one another. And, you know, and I've talked to a lot of visitors. I'm just going to put it out there now just so you know. When I call visitors, one of the things that they commonly say about Calvary Chapel Irma is y'all are a very loving, kind people. So church, let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. We stand on the truth, and we study the Word of God, and we, but we love people. We love people, and, and we don't get into this worldly and empty chatter. You know, gangrene, uh, this worldly and empty chatter, it opens the church for Satan's assaults. And y'all, I'm sure in, our, in some, of past, some of your past, you've seen what this, what this could do. This gossip, this wrangling, this backbiting, this fighting. And I praise the Lord that we don't have it here. Because we're following Jesus' command. We love one another. We love one another and we love all people. And we care for all people. And we want to help. We want to help people. And, and we don't want this cancerous, poisonous spirit going through our church. He continues in verse 17. He says, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. All this stuff that we just talked about, it's a hot bed. It's a hot mess. And guess what comes out of it? False teaching. That's what happened to these guys. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have, here, there it is, who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. It says that they have, they've gone astray from the truth. That means that they were in the truth, but they departed because of all the stuff that was wrecking these Christians' lives and that was messing up the church. So what's the cure? What's the cure? Because we're fixing to go into how to be a vessel of honor. What is the cure for all those things that we just talked about? The cure is this, solid Bible teaching and keeping God's word flowing into our hearts and flowing into our minds. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3 through 3 says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, all those things that we just talked about, here is Peter, another disciple, five books over, talking about those things. He says in verse 2, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is what protects the believer. This is what protects you in your Christian walk. Let's not, let's not even talk about the church for a minute. Let's talk about you living for Jesus in your life. What will protect you and guard you from this gangrene and all these uh, things that will wreck your life is just a steady diet of the Word of God. That's what will protect you. That's what will keep you straight. That's what will keep you from becoming like these guys and, and falling away is that you just spend time in God's word. You know, when we, when we spend time with the Lord in our personal time, one, we're praying. So we're talking to God. We're communicating with him. We're letting him know our heart. We're, we're lifting up needs. We're, we're praising him. We're adoring him. But then we open up our Bible and what's taking place then? He's speaking to us. And that is the best way I, I, I present to you this morning to guard yourself from those things that we just talked about. So if you don't want to wreck your life, you don't want to wreck your church, you don't want to wreck your walk, follow those principles. And let's look at these things in Scripture and let's learn from them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now we've talked about how to wreck everything. Now Paul's going to take a shift. He's going to shift at verse 19. And he's going, to, he's going to talk about how to be a vessel of honor. Raise your hand if you'd like to be a vessel of honor. Amen? We want, to be, we want to honor the Lord with our life. We want to serve him. We want to show him that he is truly Lord. And we want to be a vessel of honor. Let's take a look at it. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. And, um, so let's, let's take a look at it. Beautiful, deep, rich passage. You know, a lot of times I will say, you know, I can take this one Bible verse and 
create a sermon on it. I can create a sermon almost, on, on almost each one of these phrases in these verses. It's so rich and it's so deep. And I hope this morning it whets your appetite to go deeper. So let's take a look at it. A vessel of honor. He says in verse 19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to what? Abstain from wickedness. You know, this is a beautiful verse on what repentance is. On, on, on what repentance is. You know, there's some people out there that say repentance is not required in the Christian faith. And, and faith and faith alone saves us in Christ Jesus. But in response to our trust and our faith in him, the Bible also says that we are to repent. We are to repent and turn away from our sin. So I'm here to tell you, repentance is part of the Christian walk. Repentance is a message of almost every single New Testament book. And he says there in verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, look at the word he uses, the firm foundation of God stands. Okay, Apostle Paul, what is that firm foundation that stands? He says it in the second half of the verse. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, this doesn't mean we live this life of perfection, sinless perfectionism, they call it. That's wrong and that's impossible because Christians struggle. But in the Christian walk, there is a turning away from the old life. And there is a what we call growing in sanctification where the Holy Spirit is working on our lives and he's removing all that stuff that we used to do. We repent, we turn from sin, we turn to Jesus, and we turn from wickedness, we turn from the old ways of life, and we turn to the newness of life. My question to you this morning is, have you found a place of biblical repentance? Have you looked long and hard at God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, and realized how guilty you are of breaking his law? And what does the law do? What's the purpose of the commandments? To push us to Christ. It's the purpose of God's law, the Ten Commandments, is like a mirror we look at. And it shows us our guilt. And we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, oh Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I repent. I turn away from that old sinful life. And I turn to you. I turn away from wickedness. Verse 19, it says it right there. The firm foundation. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And you know what? And we don't do it in our own strength. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And what's the first word of the name in the Holy Spirit? Holy. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you to grow in sanctification and moving away from the old wickedness in the old ways of life. Verse 20, he says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. So he says in verse 20 there, there's this large house. Pastor Abel, what's the large house? The large house is the church. It's, it's not just Calvary Chapel Irmo. It's the church as a whole on the earth, this large house of people, the church. And within that church, he says, there's gold and silver vessels, and there are wood and earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. I believe here the gold and silver vessels are those within the church who have found a place of biblical repentance. And as we read this in context, they are going to become vessels of honor that God uses for his kingdom. That's who I believe the gold and silver vessels are. But he says, but there are vessels of wood and earthenware. There's people within the church who, ha who haven't got it all together. They don't understand this thing of repentance because it hasn't been shared with them. And they need to understand that that's part of the New Testament. That's part of the Christian walk. It's turning away from the old life and turning to Christ. So there's these people within the body that verse 20 says that are wood and earth and wear, 
And then it says, some of these wood and earthenware, some are to honor and some to dishonor. There are people that are within the church that will learn this message of repentance. They will turn away from uh, the wickedness and the evil. And then what will they become? They will become, the verse says, uh, vessels of gold and silver. The message of repentance is still relevant for today. The message of repentance, the message of turning from sin is still true today. And it's required of every believer that as they grow and they move forward in their walk, that they turn from the old way of life and they live holy. Uh, Moses said in Exodus, Peter said in Peter, he says, what did he say? Be ye holy for I am holy. And that is part of the Christian walk. Is, is living a holy, dedicated life. Verses 21 and 22. We're going to spend a great, deal of time, great bit of time here. Verses 21 and 22 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be, there it is, a vessel of, for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, Faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. My friend, right here, this is how to become a vessel of honor. Now I want you to notice, uh, we'll put them up on the screen for you so you can remember them, but there are three action verbs. There are three action verbs in verses 21 and 22 that I want you to pay careful attention to as we look at this phrase by phrase. So look at verse 21. Verse 21, he says, therefore, if anyone, stop right there, if anyone, this invitation is open to all, okay? This invitation is open to whosoever. If anyone, Paul prefaces this, if anyone will do this, they will become a vessel of honor. If anyone, here's the first one, the first action verb in verse 21, cleanses himself from these things. What's he talking about here? He's talking about repentance. He's talking about not just changing your mind about Jesus, which is what some people say repentance is, but turning away, turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. Repentance is more than a change of mind. It's a turning away from sin. It's just simply turning away and changing the way you live. Go with me for a minute. Imagine I'm unfaithful to my wife. She gives me the boot. She kicks me out of the house because I have sinned greatly. And I have done something that was very wicked. And then all of a sudden, I, I get kicked out. Then I'm remorseful. I want to go back to my wife. And I go back to her door. I knock on her door and I say, and I say, honey, because I'm, I'm wanting to show her that I've repented, that I've changed. Honey, I've changed my mind about you. What would she do? She would clock me upside the head with a frying pan and send me packing. That's not what she would want. She would want to see a change of life. She would want to see a David going in a different direction. That's what repentance is. People, you're going to hear this. Repentance is just a change of mind. It's just a change of mind about who Jesus is. Repentance is a change of mind. We do change our mind. We do believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is our Savior. We do change our mind about him. But equally also included, according to the text right here, repentance is a turning away from wickedness and turning away from the way we were living to a new way of life. So he says we cleanse. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, verse 21 it says, he will be a vessel for honor. It says, notice that imperative there. You will be a vessel of honor, useful to the Lord when we do these things, when we depart from wickedness, when we depart from evil. You will be a vessel of honor. There it is. There's that word. I love it. It says, be a vessel of honor, sanctified, sanctified. That word sanctified, sanctified, sanctification, it's just after you receive Christ, 
you allow the Holy Spirit to do the change. And he starts growing you in holiness and growing you in maturity and growing you forward in your walk with Christ. That's what sanctification is. When you see that word sanctification in the Bible, just think about growing and being set apart because that's what the word means. And then it says there in verse 21, the NASB says, I love this phrase, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You may not know what God's calling you to. You may, not know, you may not know the work that he's got for you to do. But it says when you cleanse yourself from the old life and you depart from wickedness, it says right there in verse 21, you will be useful to the master. He's like, okay, okay, this, this, this child of mine who's turning from wickedness and turning from evil and turning from sin, they're showing me. The Father is looking down from heaven and saying, they are showing me they are ready to be used. And watch out and hang on tight because God is going to use you in great and mighty ways when you set yourself aside for him. That's the promise of verse 21. But again, I want to take you back to the beginning of verse 21. Everything I just said, that promise of being used mightily, being used by the master, there, at the beginning of verse 21, it says, if, 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 if anyone, if we will cleanse our way, if we will cleanse ourselves from the old way of life, we will be useful to the master, prepared for every good work, will be a vessel of honor, will be sanctified, will be cleansed, and he will use us great and mighty ways for the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, we got verse 21. Beautiful verse. Beautiful verse. I, I, you probably pull some more from there. Go home and study it. Beautiful passage. Now, like verse 22. Look at verse 22. He says, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call, upon, call on the Lord from a pure heart. This vessel of honor that Paul is describing that's going to be used, I want you to notice that the, the other two action verbs are in this verse, which is flee, flee from youthful lust, and pursue. That's the two action verbs, pursue, righteousness, faith, and love. Notice that the vessel of honor, he's, look at the direction he's going in. He's going from one to the other. The vessel of honor, the person that God uses, doesn't mean he's perfect, doesn't mean he's got it all together, but he's moving in that direction. He is fleeing from the youthful lust, and he's, he's, he's going one direction, and he's pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You know, one of the things well, I talk to young people, especially when it comes to the area of lust and sexual purity, and I talk to young people, I will tell them, the first thing you need to do is go to the, the, um, the, the shoe store and get the best pair of new balances that they have or the best pair of Nike shoes they have and use them to when you get tempted to sin, run, run and flee. Don't put yourself in any situation where you'll be tempted to compromise. And when you find yourself in that temptation, when you find yourself in that uh, temptation to compromise, run from it. Flee. The scripture says that God will give you a way of escape. Look for that way of escape. Find it and run as hard as you can. And, 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 but he says, flee from youthful lust. Uh, flee from youthful lust. You know, there's Every single one of us, if we could go around this room and we could talk about our youthful lust. We could, you and I, I got a lot of things from the, from the past that, that, that have chased me in the past. The old, my old way of life, my old way of thinking, my, my immorality, the fornication, all the things that I used to dive into and, and, and enjoy. I run from them. I flee from them. And I put myself in no position to be tempted by them. Because no man is beyond being tempted. But I'm, I'm leaving those things behind. I'm fleeing the youthful lust. Verse 22, you're going in one direction. And it says, and you're, you're, you're running with your brand new pair of uh, shoes on. And you're pursuing what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. What's he saying there, guys? You're pursuing the things of God. You're pursuing, you're pursuing the things of the Lord. 
with a joy-filled heart, with peace in your heart, with peace in your mind. Uh, We pursue righteousness. That word righteousness means a, a right standing with God. Now, be careful with that. We're not pursuing a right standing with God. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in a right relationship with God instantaneously the moment you place your faith and trust. But when it says we're pursuing righteousness, we're pursuing the kingdom. We're pursuing the Lord. We're pursuing faith. How do we pursue faith? We pursue faith by studying his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and being encouraged. And then he tacks on this phrase at the end of verse 22. He said, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I love that part of the verse. I love that part of the verse. You're part of the family of God. You're part of the family of God. You've joined in with the the family of God and, and other Christians to help you run the race. To help you run the race and win the race. And guess what else he's got for you to do? He's got you here in the body or in the universal body of Christ to help and encourage others. To help and encourage other people. Flee the youthful lust. To flee from the past. And to pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. I'm glad it doesn't say, and to pursue religion, and tradition, and philosophy. And to fill our brains and puff our heads up. No. Those, uh, there's some interest in them. And there's a little bit of, it, uh, of stuff to learn from them. But no. We pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace. Those things that are real, those things that are tangible, those things that affect our everyday life and our walk with Christ. That's what we pursue. Guys, I I present to you this morning, as I was studying this passage this week and looking at it, um, verses 19 through 22, you know, this, this word, this message, the firm foundation to repent. I think it's what's missing in the church today. It's, what, it's what's missing in the body of Christ. And the, the body, all Christians need to understand because the Bible says so, that repentance is part of the walk. Repentance is part of the walk. It's, you know, and even after you've been a seasoned Christian for a while, you know, there, there needs to come seasons in your life where you, you need to ask the Lord, God, please search my heart. Because sin creeps in silently. You don't even realize it, some of the temptations that come. But there needs to be seasons in our life where we pray and we say, God, this is you in your prayer closet. Not to me, not to some priest. This is you in your prayer closet. Your prayer to the Lord in the morning. Is there any wicked way in my heart? Is there anything that's come between uh, you and me, but come between me and my first love? If so, Lord, bring it to my heart. Bring it to my mind. Let me see this thing. And then once the Holy Spirit does bring it to your mind, what do you do with it? Take it to his throne of grace. Take it to his throne of grace. And become, according to verse 21, if you need to circle it, verse 21, you will be a vessel of honor. Let's wrap this up. Verses 23, 24, 25, and 26. And this, this portion of scripture is a vessel of honor will, and then you can say fill in the blank. So here's what they are. A vessel of honor, let's look at them. Verse 23, but he says, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. I talked about it in the beginning of my message. I said each one of these, each one of these phrases is a sermon. But verses 23 and 24, a vessel of honor, a vessel of honor refuses foolish and ignorant speculations. You know what? If, if, if the Bible doesn't give us the answer, then the answer is not that important. And that's what we say to those unanswerable questions. You know, a vessel of honor uh, just sticks with the authority of Scripture and just sticks to the Word and, and, and holds on to what the Bible says and avoids these these weird, foolish, ignorant speculations that serve no purpose in the first place. And then verse 24, a vessel of honor. He's not quarrelsome. He's not fighting. He doesn't have that mean spirit. You know, he seeks to get along with people. 
He seeks to love people. He, he seeks to be a team player. That's what a vessel of honor does. He comes into the body and he says, how can I bring the church together? How can I bring these brothers together? A vessel of honor will see two brothers or ladies, a vessel of honor will see two sisters and say, how can I bring them two together? How can I bring unity to other parts of the family who aren't in unity? You could, use, you could apply this principle to your family. Being a vessel of honor in your family and being used in this way. How can I bring unity? How can I keep people from fighting? A vessel of honor, according to verse 24, is kind to all. I love that. Look, the NASB says, verse 24, but be kind to all. We are kind. We're called to be kind to all people. All people. Regardless of what they believe or where they're from or, or you know, we should not have enemies. But we should love and care for all people in, in our church, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our community. We're called to, verse 24, the Lord's bondservant says, be kind to all. Be nice. Be a nice person to all people. Let's do that. Then it says, a, Lord, uh, a vessel of honor, the Lord's bondservant, he's able to teach. He's able to teach. You know how, you know what, um, people began, when I talk to people who, who've never led a Bible study, and, and they're not sure what to say, I'm like, dude, just, or ma'am, just open the Bible and study it. Maybe get some commentaries, read some commentaries, and just walk through the Bible verse by verse. The, the, you know, that's what a vessel of honor does. He wants to teach people what he's learned from the word. And then verse 24, a vessel of honor is patient when wrong. You know, when we are, when we are done wrong, the first thing we want to, do, want to do, I don't know about you, but me, is we want to get angry. We want to get mad when somebody has legitimately done something to offend us or somebody's uh, intentionally done something to hurt us. You know, we want to get angry. That's our natural inclination. Probably every single one of you and me, that's our natural inclination is to get upset. But what does he say in verse 24? He says he is to be patient when wrong. In other words, when you're done wrong, take a deep breath, pray, submit to the Lord, try to work things out try to work things out be patient when you're wrong hopefully you know that person will come to their senses and they'll they'll apologize or god will give you an opportunity to be as as uh, in the sermon of the mount says to be a peacemaker and to make peace with all people you know we're not we're not in the business of upsetting people or making people mad we're we're in the within the body we are in the business of of learning how to be patient and showing the patience uh, with people, the same patience that the Lord showed with his disciples. In verse 25 and 26, this is really one principle here. It says, uh, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. The vessel of honor, he understands this. He understands that the whole world is held captive by Satan. And he understands that all, men, all, all souls are in the balance. So in his witness to the world, he is what? He is gentle. He is with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now, when it's false teaching, how do we address that? We speak the truth in love. We, we, we show them, we, we, we don't brush false teaching under the rug, okay? We oppose it and we stand for the truth. But we do it not in a spirit of being angry or mad, but we do it there, the beginning of verse 25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Because what is our ultimate goal? Our ultimate goal is not to win the argument. Our ultimate goal is to win them to Jesus, to win them to Christ. I had all kind of weird beliefs and crazy thinking before I got saved. 
But when I came to Christ, by, by, by the Holy Spirit convicting me and bringing me to faith and by the witness of other people, that, it was after that that God fixed and corrected my theology and corrected my understanding of his word. This is how we become a vessel of honor. And, and, and Paul is telling Timothy um, there, there at the church of Ephesus that repentance is part of it. Repentance is, is, is the shortcut to becoming a vessel of honor to be used. Because when we turn from our sin, when we turn from our wickedness, we are saying to God, God, we understand how holy and how awesome you are. And we are, we are done with the old way of life. We've made up our mind. The old way of life is done, it's over, and we're turning to you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, Lord. Father, help us this morning. This was a deep, 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 heavy passage. And there's a lot, there was a lot to chew on here. But Father, help us to uh, be vessels of honor by turning from the old way of life, by standing on your firm foundation of your word and our faith in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to abstain from wickedness. Help us to be like these gold and silver vessels used for your service, Lord, as we flee from the old life and we pursue this new life in Christ and as we, as we, as we um, repent. Lord, if there be any wicked ways in our life, if there be anything that's come between you and your children, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you'll show them and they'll be able to bring it to your throne of grace. And they'll find this freedom and this joy and this peace in their service to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the study of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And thank you, Lord, for all the great things that you're teaching us in your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.